Hello, and welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the official podcast of Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge.
Will you pray with me, please? Now may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I thought about just saying amen to Matt's children's sermon. I may not be able to get away with that. Maybe. Thank you, Matt. Um, I want to tell you a story about Dan Cherry. Dan Cherry flew the McDonald 4F, F4, excuse me, F4 fighter jet in the Vietnam War. Now, for those of you who are children, you'll know that uh, by the Transformers, Blitzwing, transforms into an F4. Cherry was based in Thailand. His usual mission was an occasional reconnaissance escort into southern North Vietnam. They were protecting reconnaissance guys from enemy MiGs. On April 16, 1972, they had received orders for 20 planes to fly MiG patrol in the Hanoi area, bombing flights taking off from several Air Force bases. 8 a.m., four planes took off from their base. Fred Olmsted, Stu Moss, Jeff Feinstein, and Cherry himself. They accelerated across the border into North Vietnam, heading straight for Hanoi. Enemy surface-to-air missile radars were on them immediately. They ignored the warnings. They were on a mission to kill MiGs. Soon, Stu Moss and two MiGs were in a battle. They jettisoned their inboard fuel tanks, lit afterburners, set switches. As two MiG-21s tracked down the radar screen, they got into firing position. Out of nowhere, though, came a camouflage MiG, trailing the first two, and then Cherry rolled out, headed straight for him, following as the MiG broke into a cloud bank that he was unable to lock on. With surface-to-air radar screaming in his ears, he pulled up into a clearing. Greg Kane then spotted the MiG, two o'clock, made a hard climbing turn into firing position, fired one side sidewinder, fired a second with no results. Something was wrong with the firing control system. Frustrated, Jerry switched positions with Crane, who fired three AIM-7 Sparrow missiles, but nothing happened. Jerry took the lead again. He concentrated this time on smoothly tracking the MiG in his gun sight, setting up switches for a shot. 4,000 feet, they got full system lock on. He squeezed the trigger, swoosh, out came a sparrow, hit the MiG in the right wing. Wing blew off. Flames, smoke, pieces of airplane went in all directions, and the piece that was left snap rolled, and then right in front of Dan Cherry, out popped the pilot with his parachute. He had to maneuver quickly, he said, to avoid the white parachute with one red panel. They confirmed the MiG kill and headed home. 
2004, during a visit to the National Museum of the United States Air Force in Dayton, Ohio, Cherry and his friends discovered the very plane he had flown on that April day 32 years before. It was in static display in the outskirts of Dayton with his name and a red victory star, but it was badly weathered. But back in his hometown in Bowling Green, Kentucky, they were building an aviation museum. They arranged to purchase his plane for restoration and display. Raising money for the museum, he said, they got the idea to try to find the MiG pilot that had ejected. He said, I always been curious about his fate, who he was, if he'd survived, if he had a family. So we set about seeing what we could find out. Through an acquaintance, we learned about a Vietnamese television show that reunites people that have grown out of touch. When the producer had heard of the intentions of Cherry and the circumstances surrounding that dogfight, within two weeks she had found that MiG pilot and invited Cherry to Vietnam to be on the television program. On April 5th, 2008, on live television, with Cherry's heart pounding, Wing Hong Mi, the man, he said, I had last seen in a black flight suit swinging under a red and white parachute, walked out onto the set. He greeted Cherry with a firm handshake, words of welcome, and expressed his desire to become friends. They sat down at a table with the producer. The interview began with their histories and their stories about their families. Cherry teared up when he saw photos of their children and grandchildren on the monitor. And so did Hong Mi, two tough old fighter pilots weeping on national television. After the show, they had dinner and wine on the roof of the majestic hotel in Ho Chi Minh City. With the help of an interpreter, they got to know one another. Cherry learned that in the 1960s, Hong Mi spent, spent four years in Soviet Union training to fly in MiG-21. He told Cherry he had been credited with one American shoot-down. In their dogfight, he broke both arms and severely hurt his back from the ejection. It recovered and went on to fly two more years. Hong Mi then invited Cherry to his home in Hanoi. So he changed his airline reservations to fly. They flew together. Cherry said, with my former enemy, by my side. We flew over the same countryside where I had flown so many combat missions. Cherry checked into his hotel and walked to Hong Mi's home through the streets of Hanoi. He was introduced to his son, Quan, his wife, Zhang, and grandson, Duke, who was celebrating his first birthday. Hong Mi was holding Duke as Cherry walked up the little boy grabbed Jerry's finger, reaching out for him. Hong Mi placed Duke in Jerry's arms. He said, I couldn't help thinking that had things gone differently in the sky that day 36 years ago, Duke would not have been here for me to hold. After a wonderful Vietnamese dinner, Hong Mi took Cherry 
back to the hotel on his motorized scooter. Everybody in Vietnam had a scooter. They zipped through the streets of Hanoi, the MiG pilot, the F-4 pilot, laughing, dodging traffic, having a grand old time. He said the next day, Hong Mi played tour guide. We went to every museum, war memorial, and tourist attraction, including the Hanoi Hilton. They arrived there at that infamous POW jail, showed pictures of American POWs during their incarcerations. Well, the usually gregarious, outgoing Hong Mi turned quiet and somber. Cherry says, as I studied the photographs of American POWs, he whispered, did you have any friends in here? He said, I pointed to a picture of Colonel John Flynn. He's my friend. Hong Mi lowered his eyes and shook his head. Jerry says, when we emerged, I was overwhelmed with sorrow. Hong Mi put his arm around my shoulder to console me and patted me on the back. There on the street in front of the infamous POW jail, my enemy had become a true friend. Today's scripture passage is about that kind of love. The kind of love that being a disciple of Jesus requires. The kind of love that extends to all persons, regardless whether they've earned our love or if they've deserved it or not. The love of a disciple of Christ is like the love of God extending out even to the enemy who has done us wrong, who has cursed us or even hurt us. Jesus' teaching is agape love. Agape love is so deep and forgiving. It breaks through all the usual barriers and becomes open-hearted and radically generous. It's not a love that comes by some morality that says we should love, but from a vision and a perspective of God's love for all people, which means it goes beyond what the world teaches us. Love those who love you. Hate those who hate you. The world seems to say that if someone hurts you, you hurt them back equally. Agape is a love that's to be shown even if love is not returned to you. This is a hard lesson. It may be easier, I think, to give a big gift or to check off 10 worship services in a row than to keep this one instruction from Christ. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect payment, what credit is that to you? Because even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, he says. You'll be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. 
Father Joe, a true book, and a true person. Father Joe was a monk. He was a spiritual guide to Tony Hendra, you may know as a writer, satirist. Father Joe told Tony, but you can't conquer one sin with another. Hate with more hate. It only makes hate stronger. Love alone can conquer hate. But true courage, he said, is not to hate our enemy any more than it is to fight and kill him. To love him, to love in the teeth of his hate, that is real bravery. They ought to give medals, he said, to those people. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Sandra Wheeler is a Christian ethicist. She wrote a book called What We Were Made For, a Christian reflections on love. And she says, loving those near to us well is hard enough. No wonder a human love that extends to strangers and even to enemies is harder to imagine. Most of us were taught the big stories of the Bible when we were children, right? One of those lessons is this lesson. About the way Jesus treated people and what he taught. As children, we're taught manners, right? Ways to behave in public, especially. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Christians and even non-Christians know that golden rule. We're taught to turn the other cheek as well. But then you start to school and you encounter the bullies. And you learn quickly that in life there is also a sweetness to turning that bully's other cheek. But there must be a better way than returning slug for slug, always looking at the other as a threat. There must be a way to break the cycle. You hit me, I hit you. For in fighting a monster, we often become a monster in the process. But Jesus never speaks as if we may be the bully turning the cheeks of others. There are no instructions about striking, stealing, hating, cursing, abusing, abusing others because that isn't kingdom behavior. He speaks to victims. He speaks to the victims and teaches them how to take charge of their life by returning hate with love and care and giving. He says the measure we use will be used on us. Thank God because God doesn't use the me that measure on us, but graciously forgives us, dies for us. And Lamont says, if you want to change the way you feel about people, you have to change the way you treat them. Love your enemies, pray for those that hurt you. Former parishioner of a pastor friend of mine said this. The Holy Spirit said to me once when I was being critical about a crazy woman in the laundromat. She said, the flip side of criticism is prayer. The flip side is, of criticism is prayer. She said, I knew what that meant. If I know enough to be critical, then I know enough to pray. And you cannot hate someone that you're praying for. 
And when you do, you might even break the cycle of hate within yourself. Some years ago, a famous novelist died. And in his papers, they found a list of suggested plots for future writings. And the one that was underlined the most said this. A widely separated family inherits a house in which they have to live together. A widely separated family inherits a house in which they have to live together. This is the great new problem for the human age. We have a large house. We have a great world house in which we have to live together. Black, white, Easterner, Westerner, Gentile, Jew, Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Hindus. We've inherited this house. A family excessively separated by ideas and culture and politics and interests. But we can never live apart. So we must learn somehow to live with each other in peace. Can you and I come close to what Jesus is teaching and modeling? Is there any desire in us that we might turn this well-known teaching into something real? Well, first we have to ask, who is my enemy? And then to pray for them. If you try it, I guarantee your heart will begin to change. And it will be hard to hate anyone that you're praying for. And then maybe ask yourself, why are they my enemy? Years ago, the brother of a co-worker of mine was very angry and distant with me. I was dumbfounded. I had no idea what I had done wrong. Finally, I went to his house and I said, something is wrong. What, what have I done to anger you? After a while, he said, he was angry with me because I can grow a beard and he can't. Is it jealousy? Are they threatened? Has there been abuse? Is there insecurity? Are there cultural differences, political differences? What is it? And third, ask, what steps can I take to bridge the gap? What is realistic? What's doable within my resources and my time? Take baby steps. As someone put it, if you want to learn to love your enemy, maybe don't start with the Gestapo. Today, it may be ISIS. Small steps. A brother, a sister, a neighbor, a co-worker, an old boss. Break the cycle with agape love. We are co-workers on Christ's mission in the very short time we have on this earth. We're called to imitate Christ's revolutionary love, radical hospitality, 
We are capable of this. Or he wouldn't have taught us to do it. We don't always succeed. Oftentimes we fail. Each of us falls short. But when we take some steps, we are on our way. We're coming closer and closer to the very heart of God. And our reward will be great. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Let's give thanks. For your unconditional love, God, we are thankful. We thank you that you've shown mercy and grace to us, that we might even stand in this place before you. We pray for that person who has become our enemy or those people. Help us, God, with a baby step just to say a prayer for them and to see what great reward you have for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the official podcast of Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. For more information about our church, please check us out on Facebook by searching for Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. You can also find us on YouTube by searching for Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. We're on Twitter and Instagram as at Broadmoor underscore BC. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you on Sundays.